Are you looking for a new job? Are you hiring but can't find diverse, talented candidates? Look no further because we're here to help you out. Head on over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs where you can browse job listings, post your own jobs, and sign up for email updates when new job listings are posted. This week on the job board, Glean is looking for a product designer in Manhattan in New York City. MKG is looking for a talented and versatile senior 3D designer in either Brooklyn, New York or Los Angeles, California. Posting to our job board starts at just $99, way less than many other design job boards. And for an additional fee, you can have your listing advertised here on the podcast and reach tens of thousands of listeners. Make sure to head over to revisionpath.com forward slash jobs for more information on these listings and others. Get started with us and expand your job search or recruiting efforts today. Revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Revision Path. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Now, for the past few weeks now, actually probably for the past couple of months, you've heard me talk about the 10th Collective, which is a new initiative from Revision Path and State of Black Design. Now, we started the collective to pair black designers with companies that are looking for black designers. So if you're listening to this and you're a black designer and you're looking for your next opportunity, I don't care if you are at a place and you're looking to leave or you maybe just got laid off because so many people have been getting laid off recently from tech companies and stuff. The 10th Collective is for you. It's free to join. All you have to do is just fill out a short profile and you're all set. You'll only be contacted by companies when they're ready to talk to you, and you can hide your profile from companies or remain completely anonymous. The 10th Collective is meant to be a resource for you, whether you're looking for your next opportunity or not, so it's a really great asset to have in your back pocket for your career. If you want to be a part of this, head over to the10thcollective.com to join, and I'll put a link to it also in the show notes. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and some fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. So what are you waiting for? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Dr. Perry Sweeper, a professor of practice in the Division of Experiential Learning and Interdisciplinary Studies at Morehouse College. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Hi, my name is Dr. Perry Sweeper. I'm a professor of practice at Morehouse College. I'm a designer, an educator, and a researcher. What is a professor of practice? What does that mean? So there are different levels at universities. There's adjunct professors who maybe teach one or two classes. There are also people who are on the tenure track who might be in the assistant professor ranks. Professor of practice, by my definition, is someone who comes in from industry to teach a particular class or classes for a university. And one of the benefits of having someone um, in a professor of practice role is there's someone who's both working in industry and, and academia at the same time. And so they can give you a right now sort of experience from the perspective of a person working in the field um, for the students. Okay, I, that makes sense. So it's not like someone that's a, a career, like, academic, essentially. Correct. Okay. All right. I got you. I was thinking, I know that there's some trade schools I know that do that. I think the art institutes do that as well. They'll have people who are actually working professionals, but then they also will teach courses and stuff. Yeah. So uh, how's the summer going for you so far? 
It is busy. It's really busy. It's good. I'm going to try to take some time to rest before classes start in a couple of weeks, but it's going well. Are you ready for the upcoming school year? Yes, I am. I'm ready to talk to students again, interact with students again. I have some things that you know, I want to do as far as like the syllabus is concerned or the curriculum, some tweaks I want to make. But other than that, I'm, I'm fully prepared and, and ready to go. Okay. Speaking of school, you teach at Morehouse College, which listeners of this show know I am a alumnus of Morehouse College. You started in the 2021 school year. I'm just curious, like, how has it been teaching during the pandemic? It has been extremely interesting because you you have to be agile and flexible and in your work role in the way that you assign you also have to be transparent as well and you have to be empathetic to what's going on with the students and so uh, during that time I tried to make sure that I was thinking about what was going on and also trying to get a cadence of where the students were physically, mentally, and emotionally, because they, some of them were stuck at home and not able to come to campus or they came to campus and they had to leave or there were so many different things going on uh, personally with the students. So it was a really, really interesting time. And I think it is actually a time where it felt like we were really, really far apart, but I Mm -hmm. think it brought the campus community closer together in a way. And now you haven't been to the campus yet, though, have you? No, I haven't. Oh, you got to come down to Atlanta and come to the campus. I don't live that far from Morehouse, actually. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I I actually visited the Morehouse campus years ago, probably Uh 10 or 15 years ago, but I haven't been there since. Okay. Morehouse is a a college that has a distinct history. So (laughs) I've heard a lot about it, read a lot about it. It's actually an honor to be able to teach at the school. Yeah, it's changed a lot since I graduated, certainly, which is, my God, knocking on 20 years ago. (laughs) Oh, my God, I just thought about that. I just did the math. But, I mean, the campus has changed a lot in terms of, like, they've expanded in some ways. There's, like, a performing arts center now. They've got, like, campus apartments and things like that. I think even the building where... So you're in the computer science department, I think, pretty much, right? Correct. So even the building where that is used to be, you know what, when I was there, the computer lab and all that stuff used to be in Wheeler, but you haven't been to campus, so you don't know this, but it used to be in Wheeler Hall, which is like right near the, the entrance of Morehouse. And then they built the technology tower, which is where they moved it, which is kind of near Sale Hall and near Graves Hall which is kind of near like the big lawn on Morehouse's campus, the great lawn on Morehouse's campus. So it's nice if you get a chance to to check it out. Actually, and I don't know if this is true, but you have to tell me, does Mrs. Banks still work there? Mrs. Banks. What's the first thing? Martha. She's the administrative assistant for the computer science department. I almost remember her retiring. Oh, man. Of the right person. But no, I'm not a good... (laughs) I'm not a good person to ask when it comes. I know interacting with the department, I haven't had a chance to interact with her. Oh, okay. Uh, Oh, yeah. She was like my mom on campus. Like, I was a math major, so most of my stuff was in Dansby, I believe. I'm trying to remember the names of the dorm now that I'm thinking about it, or the names of the buildings. I think most of my stuff was in Dansby, but I was doing like work study stuff. So I would always be in the computer lab. I would always be in Mrs. Banks office at the desk and everything. I don't know if she still works there. I mean, I would imagine 20 years from now, probably not because I think she had been there probably since the eighties when I started. So I don't know if she is still there. Shout out to Mrs. Banks who has been helping a generation of black male technologists pass through that school. She is an unsung hero of Morehouse college. Wow. And while we're shouting out Miss Banks, who I'm going to look up, by the way, uh, we had to shout out all of the administrative assistants who were like moms and aunts at HBCUs. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> there's always one. You're talking about Miss Banks. I'm thinking of Miss Brown. I'm thinking of <laughs> countless others and Miss Ash and my experiences at HBCU. So that's really interesting to hear you talk about her. 
Let's talk about some of the courses that you're teaching. What are you teaching at Morehouse? Right now, I'm teaching human-computer interaction. Last summer, I also wrote a data visualization course as well. And so I'm looking to teach that very soon. So you were telling me before we started recording that what you're doing is kind of like, or at least the sort of the program in which you're sort of teaching is not really a department. It's like a an interdisciplinary studies sort of program. Is that right? Yes. So it's experiential learning and interdisciplinary studies. And so there are various subjects in the department. And so I'm, I think that it's a really innovative way to look at education. Morehouse is doing something very interesting as well because they've had some shifts in the way that they are, they have designed their program. So even as I'm talking very recently, they've changed the structure, the, the departments. And so departments, divisions, chairs, it's really going to be more of a STEM oriented environment. Um, hmm. Or so. So I'm looking forward to how this will be the first semester that we're under that structure. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Can you major in design at Morehouse? Like I, I would imagine with this experiential learning and interdisciplinary studies, you can kind of sort of mix and match kind of different fields of study. Because when I went there, and I've told this story countless times in presentations and stuff, like I started at Morehouse in 1999. So like Mm -hmm. right around the sort of like early days of the web. And I remember telling my computer science professor there, Dr. Jones, because I started in a dual degree program doing computer science, computer engineering. And I remember going to him one day and telling him that I wanted to do web design. And like I was interested in web design. I had been sort of doing view source on websites and stuff. And I told him about it. And I remember him telling me that the Internet was a fad. And that if I wanted to study that, I would need to change my major because that's not what we study here. He's like, we do like hardcore computer science. We're learning assembly. Like we're teaching you how to be a programmer. And I wanted to be a programmer, but just not, I guess, a computer programmer. I wanted to do web design. And so I did end up changing my major. But I'm wondering now, since Morehouse has went through all these shifts in curriculum and programs, as you mentioned, is it possible now to like major in design there? No, it's not. There's an art program, and then there's a computer science program. And so a lot of the students that I actually teach in human-computer interaction are software engineering majors. And so you won't get the design part, but my background is design. And so I teach human-computer interaction from sort of a from a design standpoint or a UX mm-hmm. design stand, standpoint because the, the fields are so closely um, knit. Yeah. And that's a really, when you, you look at industry, typically when you look at like the waterfall method of uh, software design, right? You get an idea, you make it and you give it to the users and that's it. And then you have like agile and other methodologies where you're constantly iterating on the design and speaking to users as you go along so that what you actually produce is something that the users will actually want and and need for what they're doing. So it's really interesting to interact with computer science students and engineers and because you bring this, I take pride in bringing this perspective to them and teaching them about psychology and teaching them about doing interviews with your users and finding out about them and learning about the environment that those users are working in, whether they're going to be looking at a computer screen for a very long time and they might need dark mode um, or just a lot of different things. So it's almost like looking at like anthropology or ethnography and really getting to know the users. That's really interesting that Morehouse has kind of branched out in that way. I mean, I knew that they had the art major and I I don't know if they have any more art professors because the one professor they had, I remember Dr. Anderson, I believe he passed away. I don't know if they've got, I'm pretty sure they might have another art professor now if they still have the major. But I often get asked from people, like when I tell them I went to Morehouse and because I've been a working designer for so long, they're like, oh, did you major in design? I was like, no, I majored in math. And they're like, what? (laughs) (laughs) Like, I was a designer and you didn't go to design school. Huh, that's interesting. I would like to see Morehouse still have some kind of a design discipline of some sort because I feel like it's something that the school is really greatly missing. I mean, they've got music, they've got, you know, so many other things. I just feel like one day 
And I'm saying this probably partially out of vanity because I would like to come back and speak at Morehouse one day. But <laughs> I was like, I can't really speak to the the math department because I don't do math and I can't speak to the computer science department because I don't do computer science. So, yeah, <laughs> we, can, we, can, we can make that happen now. We can make it happen. Now. OK, let's let's talk about that offline. Then we'll confer about that. <laughs> yeah, and It's actually a desire of mine to one day see a design program at Morehouse as well. And so we'll see how far we get that. Okay. See that in the next five years. How has it been teaching at such a well-known institution? Like, do you feel like any kind of pressure or anything? Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, Morehouse is looked at as far as males and black colleges and excellence and all of the, the alumni and graduates who are doing great things out there. It's a lot of pressure as a professor because I'm not a Morehouse man. And mm. so, but I take pride in having a hand in the education of a Morehouse man. And so yeah. being able to understand the history and the distinction behind it is, I think, integral in being a part of the campus in a way. And when I say the campus, I mean just the academic cadre of folks that are there. You know, I have gotten to interact with um, certain professors there, like uh, Dr. Marcina Morris, who's doing uh, Morehouse in the Metaverse or the Metaversity. Oh, you know, I'm teaching Zoom on Zoom, but in you know the next year or two, I want to transition to VR headsets and looking at a hybrid way to, to kind of teach on that campus. And she has been just integral in making sure that that happened during the pandemic. And it's just uh, amazing to see that grow at the university as well. We have to COVID and all of that. It, it's, it's really it's terrible, some of the things that happened during that time, but it's, it's just a great opportunity for innovation in academia. Yeah. I know commencement, last year's commencement took place in the metaverse. I got a, an email about that. I was like, oh, isn't that something? Yeah, it, it is actually, it's a, a direction. Uh, we want to go in. We are partnering with different ed tech companies and trying to make sure that we are looking at education in a different way uh, and making it available to more students. Hmm. Well, if you're looking for some Black folks that are doing stuff in the metaverse, I mean, I can certainly introduce you to a few we've had on the show before. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'll, you know, I would love to get those recommendations and, you know, I'll comb through it myself and, and look at it because the podcast is basically like a place to go and research at this point, <laughs> you know? So I'll, I'll definitely do that homework and I okay. look for those recommendations. What's the rest of the department like? Have you had a chance to like work with any other professors or talk with any other professors? Yes. Um, so the division chair, Dr. Kenneth Gaucher, he's been I mean, just integral in, you know, my development. He's the one who, who posted the job. And so getting an opportunity to speak to him, he's been at the university. Um, he's an endowed professor. So he's been at the university for a while and he runs the cultural relevant computer lab, um, mm-hmm. computing lab there. And so they're doing some really, really interesting projects around black male initiatives and technology. And so being able to speak to him, Dr. Morris as well has been great. Well, man, you got to come down to the campus. You got to, I think you got to come and spend like at least a week on campus, like go to Crown Forum, see the King statue. Definitely got to eat at Shivers. Got to eat at Shivers. Okay. You got to go to the technology tower. You got to go see the view of the grass. Don't walk on the grass. That's the one thing. (laughs) Don't walk like there's a big great lawn in front of Graves Hall, which is like the main. When you see the Morehouse logo, that building, that's Graves Hall. It's a, it's a oh. dormitory. Don't walk on the lawn. It's supposed to be bad luck, especially if you didn't go to Morehouse. It's supposed to be bad luck. But people play soccer on that lawn sometimes. But that was 20 years ago. I don't know what it is like now. But you got to go and like experience, really, not, not just Morehouse, but like experience the AUC. So you say that you've been to Morehouse before, though, right? Didn't you say you had came here like several years ago? Yes. I, so I came to Atlanta. I saw the campus. I saw the Spelman campus. I saw a lot of Dr. King monuments and okay. different artifacts. So I've been down there, but it's been a while. 
during the pandemic, I planned it once and then, oh, COVID is high, you know, and it's all these different things. So it's been up and down. Yeah. Uh, But I I feel it, 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 how can I teach at the university and not actually step on campus? Like, I just feel I have to make it happen. Yeah. And, you know, even if you do it virtually (laughs) and, you know, I'm walking around campus with, uh, some Oculus VR headsets on. <laughs> I got to go um, and look at some of these things that you're referring to. Yeah, man. I'm telling you, the AUC in the spring is lit. I mean, the Strip, which is like this promenade that it's mostly Clark Atlanta, but it connects Clark Atlanta Morris. I'm sorry, Clark Atlanta Morehouse and Spellman kind of connects us together. I mean, in the springtime, I mean, I, I might be looking at this through filtered 20-year-old rose-colored glasses. But man, I'm telling you, springtime on the Strip is like none other. It's paradise. Just a cavalcade of positive blackness Uh. as far as the eye can see. Like People talk about a different world in Hillman, which of course was based off of Morehouse and Spellman. It's very much like that. Like Especially when Spellman opens up and they have Market Fridays and you get to see Lower Manly and the steps and everything. It's Oh, it's such an experience. I have pictures from that time because I was a photographer back then. I call myself a photographer. I had a digital camera. And I just look back at that time like, oh, man, we're so young. Just so, so crazy. It was such a wild time. And it's funny because, you know, some of us now have like went on to do great things in the world. Like the current mayor of uh of Birmingham, Randall Woodfin. We were mm-hmm. in the same graduating class, in the same class. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's really interesting. Like just, I don't know. And it's funny. Cause like I said, I don't live that far from Morehouse. I don't really go there cause I don't have a need to as a, as an adult 20 years out of college. But I mean, it is right there in the neighborhood. It's just good to know that it's there and it's still, you know, kind of doing great things in the community. So what do you learn from your students? Like what do they teach you? Well, you know, I had this project during COVID and it was my attempt. So let's go to Black Panther for a second. I'm super excited. November is coming. So we're going to yeah. get <laughs> But there is this, this scene in Black Panther where they're there and they go back and they want to give this new technology to the United States, I perceive it as, that they've never seen before. And you have the little kids and they're like looking at what looks like to them a spaceship or a crazy looking car and like this new technology. And their idea was to bring this innovative technology into this urban environment and see how it could improve, you know? And so I thought about that in one of the projects that I gave. So the way that the the course works, you learn the, the principles of the human computer interaction during like the first half of the semester. Mm-hmm. And so as you learn those principles, you get small projects but the students sort of gain, they gain an understanding of what human-computer interaction is. And then during the second part of the semester, they start putting those things into practice. So the project was to come up with a piece of technology that would be needed in a community like that. And I framed it based on that, that part of Black Panther and just some of the projects that came out of that. I really, so what did I learn from them? I learned where their minds are, where they're focused at. Like, I was just so not surprised because I know they're all bright students there. <laughs> they teach me that all semester. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to see just a, a, a small example of the contribution that some of these students can make and will make in society, it's just like, it's amazing. Some of the projects they came up with, for instance, was this online encyclopedia or anthology. So 2020 and 2021, there are all kinds of things going on in the news and so forth and so on. So if you had had to have a conversation or talk to someone about what was going on, a lot of people didn't want to talk about it. Others wanted to talk about it, but they didn't know how. And so one of the students came up with this, this version of an online encyclopedia or resource where it had all of these resources on things that were going on racially in the community, how to talk about it, different resources. And so he put his time into it. And so it's a a human computer interaction class. So you don't have to code it. Right. But he went the extra mile and actually coded the site 
and put it up and running. So their projects, um, they always just blow me, <laughs> blow me away. Like some of the things that they come out with. I also teach. So in AUC, as you know, like there's Morehouse, Clark Atlanta and Spelman. So I've had an opportunity to interact with Clark Atlanta students and Spelman students as well. And I had large, a very large group of Spelman students in my class last semester. And it was just excellence. Like all of the projects, <laughs> they were always on point. It was always, no matter what was going on, they were, you know, active in class, asking questions, mm-hmm. so forth and so on. So they really, really teach me the greatness of this generation. And in society, we can go and look and, and say, oh, you know, these kids don't know anything about music and they're doing this, or doing that generations before. But to see just excellence from the students is, is extremely encouraging. Nice. I have a feeling the Spelman students are probably pretty good. I mean, yeah. probably better than the Morehouse students. And I say that not out of like, you know, rank comparison, but I just remember I keep bringing this back to my time there because that's such a easy reference for me to pull from. But I mean, I went to a summer program before I started my freshman year. And I mean, the women at Spelman were just leaps and bounds above the guys at Morehouse. And we were like in a similar program. It was a NASA funded program. I mean, just like leaps and bounds. It was amazing. So I can only imagine. Yeah, they're exceptional. So let's kind of, you know, switch gears here and learn more about you. Let's learn more about your your origin story. Like, tell me where you grew up. So I, I grew up in, in Baltimore City, and I grew up not too far from Morgan State University, where I later went to school. And so I, a kid growing up in Baltimore City, you know, all the schools I went to were like less than five miles apart. We call it small to more here. <laughs> it seems like you know someone who knows someone else and, you know, you end up being related to folks that you didn't know you were related to or people know your parents and different things like that. So I grew up in, in Baltimore, small Baltimore, and, you know, I've loved, I didn't know about design growing up, but I loved art. And so I grew up getting Disney Adventures magazines. When I got older, you know, I used to take my allowance and buy Vibe and Double XL and Black Enterprise and mm-hmm. all of those, you know, magazines. And I would really spend a lot of time in the house dissecting those magazines, finding out who those people were. And it got to a point where I was just dissecting them, you know. So I was so in looking to them so in depth that I found out who was designing it and what their job titles were. And so going from being an artist per se and drawing all the time, I learned about graphic design. I learned about design. Fast forward to high school, taking, there actually was an opportunity. So I went to Baltimore City College High School in Baltimore. There was an opportunity at the school to do independent study when you're like in 12th grade. And so I took two semesters of independent study, drawing, doing artwork, producing a portfolio at that point. That's how my career started from that point, because Mm -hmm. learning about graphic design, as I matriculated at Morgan State University, and I got more into my program and started to get more interested in graphic design, I volunteered to work on the yearbook at the university. And so they were somehow behind in years. And so it, it might have been 2000, the year 2003, and they were behind. They hadn't given the, the graduating seniors from the 2001 or 2002 graduating year their yearbooks. And so what they did was they contracted us students who had graphic design skills to actually design the yearbook, do all the layout and make it look make it look like it wasn't a yearbook, <laughs> make it look more like a magazine. That was our objective, to make this interesting. They've been waiting a really, really long time. Let's make this good. And so for about two or three years, I worked in that office, and it was right across the hall from the newspaper office as well. And so before the offices became integrated and it became student publications, I worked separately, given some extra effort, 
to help out with the newspaper and also help out with the yearbook. And so while I was learning, I was looking at other opportunities to gain experience while I was on that campus. That really, it's just like all of these things just kind of snowballed together because I gained an understanding of publication design. And that particular office, the Office of Student Publications, it was run by Ms. Denise Brown, <laughs> and who was one of those people that felt like your mother. And if she didn't feel like your mother, she at least felt like your aunt. And she ran those offices and we produced those publications. We caught up and she gave us other opportunities as well. One of the professionals who was helping out with that newspaper actually worked at the Washington Post. And so we talked and he said, you know, keep in touch. And I kept in touch with them. And so I graduated. And after graduation, I got an email from him saying, you know, hey, we got an opportunity for a person to come and be a production assistant at the Washington Post. The Washington Post, they have the Washington Post magazine. And so at the Washington Post, I got to work on that Washington Post magazine and helping to lay out those stories that go in it. And that was like my first real, like I worked in student publication, but everybody knows the Washington Post, you know, in the States. And so it was huge for me to get that opportunity to work there and, and sit in that room and see news as it happens. Even though I was working on a magazine, I still was in the newsroom or near the newsroom. So I got to see all of that going on. And so that is how my story kind of evolved to publication design and graphic design. And I call that my origin story. Let's back up because you just took me through like 20 years. <laughs> so let's let's back it up. All right. Yeah. So I get the sense that definitely design was something that you were always into. Clearly, you you went into that with going into school. I want to hear about what the program was like at Morgan State because you were studying design kind of, I guess this was right around maybe like 2001, 2002-ish, something like that when you started? I started in 2001, yes. What was the design program like? Because I didn't even know that, uh, and again, I'm basing this off my experience with Morehouse, I didn't know that any HBCUs even had design programs back then. So tell me what that program was like. Yeah, entering into that program. So my first couple of years at, at Morgan, I was taking general education classes. So I didn't even get to the department until like the end of my sophomore year or junior year. And so I didn't really know what was going on. But when I got there, it was in bad shape. They had just left the building, actually. And, you know, it was like leaking and everyone was frustrated and the program didn't have much money. It didn't have a whole lot of support and there weren't enough professors teaching in it. So I walked into a department that was sort of like in chaos. <laughs> and I think in 2003, they were moved to a brand new building. It's called the Murphy Fine Arts Building. And so this was a state-of-the-art building. And it you know, had a performance hall. And Morgan is known for its choir. Choir is huge. They tour all over the world. People have successful careers singers and musicians coming from the Morgan program. And so a lot of that building was built for that department. And there were other two other departments there. It was the theater department and that was it was us, the art department. And so we our program was really focused when you first enter in, they they taught you the foundation. Like even if you're a graphic design major, you're taking painting, you're taking printmaking, you're taking drawing. You're taking a couple of years of basic design. They want to really make sure that you get an understanding of how this was done before computers really took off. And so that was sort of like the foundation there. And so all of this stuff going on, didn't have money. And then they transitioned to this new building and they only got, felt like a hallway in this huge building. And so although they weren't, weren't in the position that they were in before, they were in a better position. They still weren't where they needed to be. And what the department did is they said, we need to get a professor in here who knows about graphic design, who can come in here and build this department. And so they hired a person named Joseph Ford. 
and he worked on the campus previously in the public relations department. And so he had, you know, a hand in making sure that all of the publications that needed needed to go out his graduation, commencement, the Morgan magazine. He was working on a lot of that, any branding or logos that needed to be done. He was working on that. But before he worked at Morgan, he had a successful career in advertising. He also worked in for TV stations, doing graphic design for them. So he had an understanding of the campus and he also had an understanding of the industry. And he came to the department and really built the program. And so those last couple of years he was there, he was teaching basically almost all of the graphic design courses. Wow. Yeah, one professor. And he is really just amazing like what he did with that program. He had all of these, like you come to him with a problem and everybody's there and they're like, oh, you know, we only got this hallway, we got this, that, and other. And he's like hearing it, but he's so focused on making sure that this program and the students get what they need. And so what he did was he had some friends in the industry and he brought, he somehow connected them all and he made a way where famous artists got together, produced, famous Black artists got together and they produced a poster for the department. And so the proceeds from selling this piece of artwork, original artwork, and then they had prints made of it, went to scholarships for students there. And then it went to bringing these particular artists to the university to speak to the students. And so he was bringing these particular Black artists to the, to the department, raising money. Really, he took the money out of his own pocket. But uh, it's crazy things that professors do to make sure that students have what they need. And he supplied everyone that was there with a scholarship to an AIGA membership. And so he gave that to them. He promoted all of the events that they were having um, at AIGA Baltimore and AIGA Nationals. And, you know, he really introduced us to the AIGA. We had no idea what it was as students. And we would go to the particular programs. We got to know the president of the AIGA would come to the campus and support what we were doing there. He also had made a connection where AIGA brought a conference to Morgan State University. And I think it was like a portfolio review. And so we got our portfolios reviewed by people in industry. I remember Ellen Lupton was there, a bunch of other professional designers. And so he came up with all these innovative ways. He bootstrapped basically the graphic design program while we were there, while I was there and graduated. And when we look back on it, a lot of the students there have had successful careers in graphic design. I mean, some of the students have graduated. They work for the NBA. They work for the Major League Baseball, you know, working, doing design. They work for IBM, the Washington Post, Baltimore Sun, and Ogilvy was included in that. But having their own businesses and doing a lot of things. So we really were a program that worked from or started from the bottom, you know, um, but made something of it. Really didn't have much, but made something out of the program. And I think without, you know, I had to give my hat off to him and all the work that he did. You know, I still speak to him a whole lot now, but I have to give him credit for it. The other professors there, absolutely. But as far as graphic design is concerned, he was definitely instrumental in, in making sure that happened. Okay. So after you graduated, you talked a little bit about the Washington Post. You also kind of, I guess, talked a little bit about going back and working at Morgan State. Now, also after school, you kind of ended up going back to school. You went to Micah for a while, and then you went to the University of Baltimore, which is eventually where you got your doctorate at. Kind of tell me about like that time. Like, What sparked that decision for you to decide to go back to school? There were two points that I want to make. One was when I was early on in my career at Morgan, I remember one of the professors telling me that you could get a doctorate in design. I had no idea. And so 
I think that sparked something in me as well, because I was like, well, how far can you go in this career as far as education is concerned? The other piece is that the graphic design world, design world changed so much. And so even throughout college, starting out, it was all about publications. I had a love for publications. And then publications started to fold and the industry started to go digital. And it was convergence where news reporters were now writing the story, taking the photographs and almost designing the stories at the same time. And they had multimedia journalists were coming about. And so I really said to myself that I have to learn more. Like it's been years since I, you know, I never really grasped coding a website. And so I wanted to learn more about that. And so I had a bachelor's of arts in graphic design and illustration, double majored in in both of them. And I wanted to learn more about the integration of design. And so that's why I looked at the University of Baltimore and that program. And so, I mean, as you were going through that program, like, I'm curious, like, was it much different from what you were learning at Morgan State? Like, it's kind of interesting. You kind of started out at an HBCU and then went to a traditional art school with Micah and then now to University of Baltimore. Like, was that a big shift just education-wise? It definitely was. So when I went to Micah, I was taking continuing studies courses. I just always had a love for learning. And so after I graduated from Morgan, I automatically wanted to learn more, get better at my craft. And and the best way I knew how to do that was to go back to school. And so I was taking like digital illustration courses at Micah. And then I saw the program at the University of Baltimore and they were like one of the only programs at the time Mm -hmm. where you could get a doctorate in design. And during that time, I think early on, it used to be a doctorate of communication design. And that just brought so much together, like what I was interested in with publication design, this integration of various forms of media and producing it and seeing that program really attracted me to University of Baltimore the level of skill. So one of the first classes that you have to take at the University of Baltimore is it's a a class and it's about writing. So you have to write, you have to design the stories, right, at the same time. And so that's, that's challenging because they want your writing to be just as good as your design. That's what you talk about in the class, um, in the class, and that's what you work on. And the class was it was like on a Saturday early in the morning until in the afternoon. So it was a really long class, challenging subject. When I first got there, I really struggled <laughs> with those first couple of classes because it was a different level. It wasn't, not to say that the level of education that I, I got at Morgan wasn't high. It was just different at the University of Baltimore. It was pulling different muscles um, working different muscles in a different way. Hmm. And now you're kind of like in a rare echelon of like black design professionals with PhDs. Like, are there any other sort of like peers of yours that you work with or you do research with or anything like that? Most of the time in the environments that I'm in, or freelancing, it's like people find out I have a doctorate in information design and they almost ask the question, why? <laughs> because most people, you may get an MFA and that's a terminal degree, but most people, they don't think it's a need for it. So it's hard to understand the value of it. And I think looking at the way that the different forms of media come to, together and then adding a research perspective and understanding like design research and understanding more about the user and, and pulling in these these different disciplines like psychology and anthropology and computer science. I feel like it puts you in a different class with all of those. It brings, you have more in your toolbox to add to the environments that you're in. And so the peers that I have, sometimes I come into an environment and, you know, they're like, what are you doing here? (laughs) You know, like, it's sort of like an intimidation depending on who I'm around. And then other 
environments, it's like, let's go. Let's do this. Bring everything that you you have. I'll bring my skill set and we can work together. And so the cohort of graduates, there there are a couple of people that I still talk to that graduated from the program. There are people in the program now that I speak to. And so we have, there are people in industry, some people that you had on the show that could relate to just that level of education or, mm. or that thirst for that education. And so it's a small cohort that's grown. Mm. When you look back at your like career now, look back at the span of everything that you've done, what advice would you give to like your 16-year-old self? I would really say be fearless, be just be fearless and do it. Don't be afraid of your own greatness. I say that because I think about my career and how I walked into some situations timid that I could have taken more advantage of, that I could have went all in and probably benefited more from it. So I think I would say that. Be fearless. Mm. Speaking of that, if you knew that you couldn't fail in your professional life, what would you try to do? Wow. I would bring a whole bunch of different things together. Like I think I would just take all the energy that I have and put it into making sure that as many people were interested in the design in my city, in my sphere of influence, knew about it. They had opportunities. They had internships. They had mentors. They had apprenticeships. They got jobs. I think that's what I would do. If I had any amount, you know, I could just do anything, I would probably do what I'm doing just at a, a higher level. What does success look like for you now? I think success to me, it looks like not just writing down the idea, but following through and, and putting action to it. If it's success in it, great. If it's successful, great. If it fails, I learn from it. So I think success is like either it goes really, really well or I learn from it. And both of those are success for me. What are some like projects and things that you're working on now? So I'm really excited about a a book. Um, I talked a lot about the program that I, I grew out of at Morgan. And so I'm writing a book about that now, the Morgan story, basically. And it's called Design at HBCU. And so it it really tells uh, my perspective of what went on there. And so I'm really, really excited about that. I just started a my own studio. And so I'm at the beginning stages of building that. That's called Lads. And so I'm really excited about that, a studio practice. I'm also really excited about after I graduated from the University of Baltimore with my doctorate, One of the decisions I made was to start an endowment for visual art students. And so, so far, um, since graduation, we've raised about $10,000. And so I'm really excited about where we are now, and I'm excited about growing that. So I think in the next five years, I'd love to see it, you know, reach $100,000. That would be awesome to me. Overall, like, what's the next step for you? Like, what's what do you want the the next chapter of your legacy to be? I want it to be growing a design studio and possibly entering academia uh, full time instead of part time. And I'm really thinking about that. And so, having a studio practice, interacting with academia on a regular basis, growing that that scholarship fund. <laughs> Raising a family, I have two boys and a wife, and so that's that's important to me. Uh, making sure they get what they need and they grow, and, and just looking forward to the future. Well, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more information about you and about your work online? Uh, so I'm available on LinkedIn under Dr. Perry Sweeper. You, you can find me there. Uh, you can find a a website at www.psweeper.com. Send me an email. I'd love to talk to you. All right. Sounds good. Well, Dr. Perry Sweeper, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. One, I think, you know, just thank you for sharing your story about how you really got into design. I could tell you're, it's something that you're super passionate about and the fact that you're able to also help 
to teach the next generation of designers and technologists. I mean, you're, you know, teaching in that department at Morehouse, but you're able to kind of teach the next generation and sort of take your love for design and pass it on to them so they can know that they can make their own mark on the world, just like you've made your mark on the world. So thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Big thanks to Dr. Sweeper, and of course, thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Dr. Sweeper and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Maurice Cherry, with engineering and editing by RJ Basilio. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre, with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. Transcripts are provided by Brevity and Wit. This episode of Revision Path is also brought to you by Hover. Building your online brand has never been more important, and that begins with your domain name. Show the online community who you are and what you're passionate about with Hover. With over 400 plus domain extensions to choose from, including all the classics and some fun niche extensions, Hover is the only domain provider I use and trust. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. So what did you think of the interview? Better yet, what do you think about the podcast overall? You know, we're really trying to do some interesting stuff here at Revision Path. We talked about the 10th Collective. Of course, we do these weekly interviews. We want to hear from you because this is for you. So please don't be a stranger. Contact us. Hit us up on Twitter or hit us up on Instagram. Just search for Revision Path, all one word. Or you can leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, on Amazon Music, or on Spotify. The more people you tell about the show, the bigger we become, and the further we can extend our reach to talk to Black designers, developers, artists, and other digital creatives from all over the world. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.